to the Constructionist Podcast hosted by Caleb. Just as we grow gardens and build buildings, God is building you through the renewing of your mind. The sufficiency of the scriptures is paramount in your journey and every week Caleb will challenge you to make them a central part of your life and worldview. Join us now as we explore the world through the ancient lens of God's word. And we're back with the Constructionist Podcast. And I want to make a comment again about this phrase, constructionist. I sort of chose it as a, as a contradict, not contradiction, a contradistinction, perhaps, to the phrase of deconstructing. I recently listened to a podcast. I don't know if you know about the Duggar family. Uh, they're a family that had a TV show, a reality show, for a long time on the Learning Channel, TLC, and they had major, major issues with their eldest son. There were 19 kids in the family. And it was a show about them being a conservative Christian family in sort of mid-South America. And their eldest son had all kinds of issues with child pornography and, and various things. Anyway, the show got canceled, but then they picked up a new show with some of the girls, the, the da- older daughters that were on the show and their various marriages and things like that. But one of the things that they emphasized on the show was this uh, teaching that came out of the ministry of Bill Gothard. And so the Duggar family was heavily invested in the ministry of Bill Gothard. And that's part of the reason why, well, it's a big, big reason why one of the one of the girls just recently released a book just in the last couple of weeks. And she makes the point on the podcast when she's talking about her book that she had to disentangle herself. She actually correctly defines what the problem is with the idea of deconstruction and where you just sort of dismantle everything and leave it all laying around in pieces. She prefers the term disentangle. So what she did was rethink her entire faith and her entire understanding of Scripture through the lens of more correct Bible teaching. So she explains this in the podcast, and you can just type in Ginger Duggar, and I'm sure you'll hit uh, some recent podcasts that she's been on. I can't recall the name of the one that I listened to her uh, interview on. But she correctly identifies that she's not going to deconstruct her faith and leave it in shambles. She's going to disentangle herself from what is false and incorrect understanding of Christianity and the Bible and what the Bible actually teaches and pursue then a true understanding of what the Bible teaches about her faith and about what God expects from his people. And she does it in a very gracious and loving way toward her family and her parents and things like that. So this is a a good explanation of really what this podcast is all about. We, We take the idea of being constructing or the constructionist, and we're always building up our understanding of faith and of Scripture and of who Jesus is and of what the Bible teaches. We want to always be growing layer upon layer, building up who we are in Christ. So we're going to look again at Psalm 2 in this podcast, and I want to focus on this phrase that David uses where he says that uh, the Messiah is going to rule with a rod of iron. So if you can just 
go to Psalm 2 or listen along. Uh, let's read the whole thing again just so we understand the whole context of it. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, Thou art my son. This day I have begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give thee the nations, the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. That shall break them with a rod of iron. That shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. So again, beautiful psalm, lovely, lovely uh, teaching that's coming out of this psalm. But let's focus here on thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. So when we talk about Psalm 2, it's quite a sort of triumphant psalm. It's the kind of psalm that you can use it like a a rally or something like that, a men's rally to get them all going. I'm sure this psalm, I'm not political really at all. And I recognize that there are ministries out there that have uh, outreaches and educational programs available for Christians who want to get involved in politics and government and things like that. And I'm not against any of that. I think uh, based on where we live in this country and the freedoms that we have and the way this system here is set up, I think that's all a very good thing. I recognize that there are other countries where there is almost zero ability for any sort of person, whether they're a Christian or not, to have any sort of direct access to government. I think about some country like China, where you would have to work your way up through the military or you would have to join the Communist Party or something like that and then slowly toe the party line to get to a point where you would have any sort of influence on the government or how any sort of decisions are made or whatever. That's a very closed system. Whereas in America, we tend to, on paper anyway, have a very open system where you can spend a few years sort of preparing yourself to get your way up into higher echelons of politics and things like that. And then, you know, if the Lord is guiding you and directing you and you're seeking his wisdom humbly and all that, you can make some really good difference and some change. So I'm not against any of that kind of thing uh, in its proper context. And according to how scripture explains that we should be interacting with the government, I just want to point out that most of the writings of the Bible and most of the example we have of the Bible is that we have Christians under a rather despotic government. Certainly the whole of the New Testament shows believers under the thumb of some uh, highly oppressive government that they have absolutely no say whatsoever in how things operate. So I'm pointing that out to say that I think we need to be careful in our own setting here today that we are not running around and trying to rah, rah, rah some kind of an American Christian expression of our faith and claim that this country, you know, we as Christians have a right to this. We actually don't. And there's no example in the New Testament. There's a few comments made here and there by Paul in that about government, but it doesn't give us 
uh, any Paul. The only thing Paul had access to was an appeal to Caesar. That's basically it. <laughs> he was exercising the extent of his rights as a Christian when he said, I appeal to Caesar. And he was only able to do that as a Roman citizen. He, no, Peter, uh, Paul couldn't, uh, sorry, Peter could not have done that. Peter never would have had the legal right to appeal to Caesar. Only Paul could have done that. So in the New Testament, we find that there are actually degrees of citizenship. And based on those degrees, that is how uh, they operate as Christians, exercising the rights within the scope of the government that they are under. And we need to do the same thing, but not champion some sort of uh, fictitious American Christianity that is somehow um, our divine right or something like that. I don't agree that that is the direction that we should be going as believers. The overall emphasis of Scripture is that you make disciples, you teach the Word of God, and you encourage people in their walk with the Lord. And if that includes, in the context of our American culture, to be involved in politics, that's fine. But we must do it under the guidance and the, the example given to us by the New Testament. So we're not here to promote some weird American Christian culture. That's actually uh, outside of the scope of the Bible in my reading of it. So, uh, and I would imagine in the, you know, I just, I would stand by that. So let's talk about this idea of what it means then for Jesus or the Messiah to break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Pretty heavy language there. This falls under the category of what scholars called an imprecatory psalm, this kind of psalm that deals with this sort of language of attack and destroy and eradicate and, you know, treat, you know, just bash them all up, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. So here it says, uh, God is saying, ask of me and I will give you the nation, the heathen for your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. So here, here there's this prayer being made. Okay, Messiah, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son today. I've begotten thee, ask of me. So God is saying to the son that he has been appointed or has been begotten and that he should pray for the nations to be his inheritance and to gain the uttermost parts of the earth. Why? So he can break them in pieces with a rod of iron. So <laughs> it's kind of an interesting thought. You know, God says to Jesus, you have all authority on heaven and earth. Now pray that you will uh, be given all the nations so that you can smash them to pieces. It's not very loving, is it? It's not very compassionate and kind. And yet... This is the reality of what we're going to see happen when Jesus returns at the kickstart of his reign. So the term that is commonly used is that there's a millennial reign, it's a thousand-year reign. We get that from the book of Revelation. And that Jesus will return to this earth and he will set up his kingdom in order to fulfill multiple prophecies in the Old Testament about the nation of Israel that have never been fulfilled. The scope of their land and the the covenants of David that were made that he would have a king who would sit on the throne forever and ever from his that we be his descendant and that he would have a house that would go on forever these sort of things and then the prophets pick up on this idea uh, of David basically they say David's going to have to resurrect from the dead in order to have this prophecy these covenants fulfilled 
toward him. So it begs the question of, well, what kind of God do we serve? Do we serve a God who, do we serve a God who's true to his word when he says to David, you are going to have a throne that will last forever? Is God true to that? Right now, there is no descendant of David on a throne in Israel. It's not there. It has to be fulfilled in Christ. And then Jesus turns around and sets David up as the king of Israel again in the resurrection. So we have this period of time that we commonly refer to as the thousand-year reign. And this is a time that the devil will be locked up and put away from the whole of the human race. There will be absolutely zero demonic influence on the human race in any way whatsoever. There will be no seances. There will be no communication with uh, evil spirits. There will be no witchcraft. There will be no sorcery. There will be no Wicca. None of this sort of... Uh, Halloween, I don't think, will probably be celebrated in the millennium. All of these things that uh, today we kind of talk about ghosts and goblins and things like this, uh, none of it will be in existence in the millennium because the devil and everybody, you know, all, all the evil spirits associated with him will be completely gone. They're going to be locked up. And so with them out of the way, it literally becomes you and God. So you as a human here on the earth and Jesus as the king of the earth. And that's it. So you cannot any more say the devil made me do it or anything like that. Now, Jesus returns at the end of the millennium when the nation of Israel, after two-thirds of them die in some great end-time battle, they're finally going to turn around and say they're going to have the veil removed from them and they're going to say, hey, Jesus really is the Messiah that we've been trying to fight against for all these years, just as it was a, 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 it was a leadership-based decision to have Jesus crucified. It will have to be a leadership-based decision to have Jesus come back to this earth. So the leadership of Israel in these last days is going to have to turn around and say, oh yes, we want the Messiah to come. We need this Jesus of the New Testament to come to the earth and save us. And he will. He'll come and do it. And so when that happens, then all Israel will be saved. And as a result, Jesus will come and he'll stop all of this destructive activity taking place on the nation of Israel and the persecution of any believers that are on the earth during the tribulation, that kind of thing. Everyone left who are just regular everyday people, Jesus will now have to subdue. He will have to rule with a rod of iron. He'll have to break in pieces like a potter's vessel. You see what I mean? Just because Jesus arrives on the earth doesn't mean the whole world suddenly goes, oh, great, we're waiting for you. Have Come sit down and have tea. It's not going to happen like that. They're going to look at him and they're going to be like, we don't want this guy ruling over us. And there's going to be a tension going on all through the millennium. So the millennium is not heaven. Every now and then I've heard people talk about, oh, it'll be great in the millennium and this and that. It will be great in the millennium. It'll be certainly better than what we have now. But there is going to be a tension. There's going to be people who are living their lives that are not going to like what Jesus is all about and how he does things. But the devil's gone. So it really will be just humanity against God. You know, that sort of, I don't want to do what I'm told. I don't want to have to listen to him. I want to do my own thing. I want to make my own decisions. I think our country, I think I should run things like this. I don't want to run things like the way he says to run them. 
So you see what I mean? It's going to be this constant tension, and he's going to have to rule now with this rod of iron. So the millennium is great and all, and it's a time for God to demonstrate to humanity, because as God looks at the whole scope of human existence, he's dealing with the totality of human existence. And so he sees humanity as this corporate whole. And as time goes on, and we look back over history and see how humanity has progressed, we know that it's gone through cycles and it's gone through you know, peaks and troughs of ideologies and of various wisdoms and different mass groups have adopted this ideology or that belief system or the other. God oversees all these things and he's waiting for humanity to exhaust them all in order to come to the conclusion that they are nothing apart from him, that he truly is the creator and sustainer of the human race. And getting rid of the devil is all part of that. And then he gives humanity a thousand years to recognize that they really are messed up. <laughs> they really do need a savior. He's looking at mankind. He's looking at the whole of the human race. This is his grand umbrella scheme. I'm going to eliminate the devil. I'm going to come in person. I'm going to demonstrate how righteousness looks. I'm going to demonstrate how a true human operates here on the earth in the person of Jesus Christ. I've given you a picture in the Gospels. I'm giving you a reality that you can look at every single day for a thousand years. And guess what happens at the end of the thousand years? The devil is released for a little bitty short time. And then he almost instantly has this massive army built up. That's the way it reads in Revelation 20. Almost instantly, he just gathers this huge army to go and attack Jerusalem. And this big old blast of fire comes down and wipes them out. It's all happens so fast there and toward the end. But the only way that the devil is going to gather such a big army so fast is if there's loads of people that are all mad at how Jesus is running the world. So the millennium, in one sense, is really no different than what we're living in today, where societies and governments and, and know, high-minded academics and all these people are all like fighting against anything that even blinks at the Bible, even glances toward the Bible. Oh, can't have that. That's religion. Oh, can't have that. That's old school. Oh, can't have that. That's, that's uh, you know, that's not scholastic. That's not, you know, modern science. That's not, no, it's ancient and old wisdom that's true, is what the Bible is. <laughs> it's true wisdom. It is life. So, and the millennium will be the same. So Jesus has to rule with this sort of rod of iron. But there's more to it than that. There's a principle when you read the scriptures, there's a principle that you must abide by when you look at some of these passages that the things that happened to Jesus happened to us as his followers. The things that he walks through, he walked through first in order to demonstrate how to go through the things that we are going to have to walk through as well. So now let's go look at Revelation chapter 2. This verse that we're talking about is quoted in Revelation chapter 2, and it's under the church of Thyatira, okay? So the church of Thyatira is pretty messed up. It's got some serious issues, so let's read it. And un This is verse 18. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works in charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against you, because you 
suffer that woman Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her space to repent of her fornication, but she did not repent. Behold, I will cast her into a bed and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and hearts or minds and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. So Jezebel, it becomes this figure in the church of Thyatira and if you go back and read First uh, Kings and Second Kings and find out who this Jezebel lady is, she's a messed up piece of work. She is the epitome of the Proverbs foolish woman. She's out to deceive. She's out for her own uh, selfish gain. She's out to rule and to reign through her own seductions and her own wickedness and her own pride and her own arrogance. She's not a very nice lady. And now this spirit of Jezebel has appeared in the church. And they've allowed it to come in. There are churches today that are functioning according to this principle of Jezebel. And God says, Jesus here says, this is wickedness and I'll destroy it. But I say unto you, verse 24, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine and which have not known the depths of Satan. That's how this Jezebel lady operates, according to the depths of Satan. As they speak, I will put upon you no other burden but that which ye have already hold fast till I come. And he that overcomes and keeps my word unto the end, to him I will give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Jesus here says explicitly that Psalm 2 is being fulfilled, that he is the begotten Son of God, that he walked in obedience and humility on the earth, that he fulfilled the righteous law of God on the earth, that he went through death, he was obedient to death, and he rose again from the dead, and he ascended to the Father. And as a result, he turns around and says, well, before his ascension, he says at the end of Matthew, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus uh, has taken the first step in having Psalm 2 fulfilled through him. Then he says that that can be applied to his people. First him, then us. Do you come to God in humility like Jesus came to God in humility? Yes. Do you seek to be obedient to the word of God as Jesus himself sought to be obedient to the spirit and the essence of the word of God? Yes. Are you going to be obedient to God even to death? Should be. We should seek to be obedient to God even to death because we look beyond our physical life to an eternal life that we're going to have with him. We're not living for the now. We're living for the then. So just as Jesus said, not my will, but yours, and he walked in obedience to the Father, even unto death, this is the me- one of the messages of the book of Revelation, that the, that the believers in the tribulation love not their lives unto the death. So they're willing to take that step forward. And you can pick up Voice of the Martyrs or Back to Jerusalem or um, Open Doors or any one of these ministries that works with a persecuted church and read literally thousands of stories of people who have given their lives unto the death for the sake of the gospel. And so when that happens, then there is a Uh, Just as Jesus died and resurrected, there's going to be a resurrection of his people 
we may die, but we are going to resurrect, or rapture, depending on how you want to look at it, uh, but resurrect, according to First Thessalonians. And so once that resurrection takes place, we are then going to be like the Lord in a new and uh, fully reconstructed body and state, and then we will be able to rule with a rod of iron alongside him. So Jesus makes this promise to the church of Thyatira, where some people actually are following after the depths of Satan, that if they repent, and if they turn from all that evil way, and, re- and humbly go back to the word of God, and humbly go back to the Lord himself, and strengthen that relationship with him, then he will give them this privilege of the overcomer, to this church where they will rule with a rod of iron alongside the Lord Jesus Christ. So when the millennium comes, when Jesus returns and this thousand-year reign kicks off, that's when these things are going to be fully fulfilled. So this principle is, is first the Lord Jesus walks through these things, then his people walk through these things. And the things that he is given by promise are things that we are also given by promise. He is the son, and we are sons by adoption through him, according to Galatians. So, when you read Psalm 2, that's what you can bear in mind, is that there's a much broader scope of how these things work themselves out. The scripture teaches things on a macro level and a micro level. It teaches things on a huge, grand, earth scale, but these things work themselves out in us on a day-by-day basis. So God bless you. Keep reading the Bible. If you'd like to support this podcast, I please encourage you to do show. Just click do do show to do so. Just click on the link in the show notes and any contributions would be greatly appreciated and the money will go to missions and it'll go to uh, keeping this podcast going. If you don't give, I'll just keep doing the podcast. So God bless you. Keep reading your scriptures. Keep seeking the Lord. Keep constructing a relationship with him in Jesus. God bless you. Bye. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast if you are challenged and encouraged by what you heard today please feel free to share it with any friends or family you like you're welcome to email us at calebtheelectrician at gmail.com that's calebtheelectrician at gmail.com and remember to leave a comment at itunes spotify or anywhere that you listen to podcasts